Well, good morning. If you have a Bible, flip over to the book of Ruth, chapter 4. If you don't know where the book of Ruth is, I'm just going to encourage you to find the table of contents. It's in the Old Testament, right after the book of Judges. Um, But while you're flipping there, I have to ask you this question. Have you ever had a moment in your life where you had to stop and ask yourself, how did I get here? What is going on? I remember a time I was eight or nine years old, and that question popped into my mind. What is going on? How did I get here? Here was my face in the dirt with my friend from across the street beating me up. I don't remember how this came to be. I don't remember if I'd said something that offended him, or if he said something that offended me, or if we were just being boys and kind of wrestling and one thing turned into another. But all I know is that my face was in the dirt. I was stuck in an inescapable wrestling hold, asking myself, how did I get here? What is going on? Now this is a simple, silly little story from my childhood, but I've had more of those moments through my life. Hey, don't step there again. It likes to crack a lot, all right? So uh, as I was thinking on that, um, we've had those moments. You've had those moments. Maybe they're serious moments, some moments in your life where you're like, I don't know what just happened. It could be a financial moment. It could be a relationship moment. Uh, It could be, you name it. But it could also be a positive moment, a moment of, this is cool. How did this happen? You got a promotion, you uh, scored the winning goal, a relationship started that you wanted. We've all had those moments though, right? Where we stop and we have to ask ourselves, how did I get here? What is going on? So today we're gonna continue looking at our Wonder Women series. We're looking at uh, Ruth. And that is a question I think that Ruth and her mother-in-law Naomi probably asked themselves a lot. How did we get here? What is going on? And so I hope to be able to answer that question for them, but it also translates to your life and encourages you in your faith journey. So you've had a moment to flip over to Ruth chapter four. Why don't you stand with me now and let's read. We're gonna be in verse 14. And this is what is written in the book of Ruth chapter four, verse 14. The women said to Naomi, blessed be the Lord who has not left you without a family redeemer today. May his name become well known in Israel. Let's pray. Father, we have your word before us. And we know that your word is powerful. So help us to see the power in these words, in this book. And help us to see what this means for us in terms of our relationship with you. Open our eyes, open our hearts. In your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So I have to be honest with you, we started at the end of the story. And it doesn't really make a lot of sense when you just read those words without any context. And I thought, you know, as I, as I was preparing, I thought we would be able to just jump right into these words and not have to really back up and look at what's going on. But as I was talking with my wife about the book of Ruth, she kept stopping me and going, did that really happen? I don't remember that. And then I was talking with my in-laws this weekend and I was sharing some things with them and my father-in-law stopped me and said, I don't remember that being in scripture either. And I realized, you know what? We better back up and quickly run through the book of Ruth in order to understand what those words mean that we just read. So buckle in, we're gonna take a really quick journey through the book of Ruth, shall we? 
Here we go. The book of Ruth, it's written during the times that the book of Judges was happening. Now, if you spend any time in scripture, you know that the book of Judges is, is a story, an account of stories where Israel keeps rebelling against God. They go and turn to false gods. And so God decides, since you're not worshiping me, since you're not honoring the covenant, I'm going to send judgment against you. Usually that was another nation coming to uh, put them into slavery, to oppress the nation of Israel. And for a season, the nation would be oppressed and then it would get too much and they'd cry out to God, please save us. We repent of, of our, our false worship. And God would send a judge to redeem them, to rescue them. And while that judge lived, there would be a season of peace again. But then the judge would die, and again, Israel would turn away from God. And so we have a series, a cycle of rebellion, oppression, redemption. And so the book of Ruth is written while all of this cycle is happening in the life of Israel. So we pick up chapter one, and we're introduced to a gentleman by the name of Elimelech. It's an odd name. Odd times, I would guess. Elimelech is married to a wife named Naomi. They have two sons whose names we're not going to try. So there's a family of four. They're living in the town of Bethlehem. If you've been to church during the Christmas season, you've heard of the town of Bethlehem, right? Yes, you have. All right, so they're in Bethlehem. There is a drought going on. It means there's no rain. Now, we don't know why there's no rain. My guess is this is another judgment of God upon the people of Israel for worshiping false gods. It says earlier in the, when God was establishing the covenant, if you don't stay true to our relationship, I will withhold the rains from you. Now, we don't know specifically that that's what's going on. I think that's an educated assumption to make. All, but what we can say is there's a drought, which means there's little food. And Elimelech and Naomi are looking around going, my goodness, we have two kids. We need to feed them. What are we going to do? One day, Elimelech comes home and says, hey, I hear there's uh, prosperity happening over in the land of Moab. Let's go. And so the family packs up their stuff and takes a seven to ten day journey to Moab. It's a nation that's just a couple miles away. Now it takes a little longer to go a couple miles in those days than it does now. And they arrive and they do what anyone does when you arrive to a new community. They start to establish themselves. They find a place to live. He finds employment. She stays home and takes care of the children because that's kind of what they did back in those days. And life seems to be okay. But we don't know exactly how long before life took a turn and Elimelech died. And now Naomi is left with two sons who have happened to marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. Again, strange names. I'd like to say I'd like to pay someone to name their kid Orpah, but I don't think I have enough money to make that happen, right? It's an odd name. Doesn't matter, she doesn't stay in the story very long. So you got Naomi, who's now a widower. She, is, uh, she has two sons who are married to Moabite women, and the sons take up the responsibility of caring for their mother things continued to seem to be okay. But about 10 years after arriving at the land of Moab, the sons die. And we have the first moment where Naomi may be going, what is going on and how did I get here? Here she is, she's a foreigner and a widow in the land of Moab. She has no family except two foreign daughter-in-laws. And women's rights back in those days, they didn't really exist. She had no way to take care of herself, to earn a living. She had no property. She had no family, kinmen around her. 
And so Naomi hears that things are going well again in Bethlehem, and so she says, I'm returning home to my people. And her daughter-in-law say, you know what? We're going to go with you. Now, we don't know what caused Naomi to, to have this next thought in this conversation with her daughter-in-laws. Maybe it's she understands what it means to be a foreign woman and a widow uh, in a foreign land. The fact that you won't fit in, that people won't look at you the same way. Maybe she's having compassion upon Op Oprah, not Oprah, Orpah and Ruth. And she's encouraging them. Or maybe she's just about to be selfish and be like, I do not want to be stuck with you too. But whatever the reason, she turns to her daughter-in-laws and says, listen, you need to go home to your mama. It's okay if you do that. And she lays out a very good case for them. I, she begins to say, I am too old. I am not going to return to Bethlehem and find a husband. And even if I found a husband, there's no way I would be able to have children. She was probably reminded of Sarah at that point. She said, okay, even if I was able to have another son, would you be willing to wait 20 years before he could redeem you and take care of you? Go home to your mama. You're young. You have future. You have a hope. And Orpah says, you're right. I'm going home to mama. But Ruth, she's probably a little more headstrong. And she says, I ain't going and you can't make me. Now, that's not quite how she said it. That's my translation of it. But she says it beautifully. And we're going to look at that real quick in chapter 1, verse 16. So Naomi says, go home to your mom. Your life will be better. And Ruth turns to her and says... Don't plead with me to abandon you, this is verse 16, or re to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separate you and me. That is a bold statement. Ruth looks at her mother-in-law and says, I'm going with you, and I am no longer a Moabite, but I am now an Israelite, and your God is my God, and whatever happens to you happens to me, and if I don't keep my word, may God punish me. Strong words. So strong, in fact, that as I shared some of this with my wife, she looked at me and she said, Dave, I don't think I ever want to follow your mom anywhere if, I, if you were to die. And I said, fair enough. <laughs> Those of you in here who know my mom, don't repeat that, thanks, <laughs> okay? So Naomi sees that Ruth, she's going with her. And so they pack up and they hit the road and they head back to Bethlehem. And I'm sure along the route, seven to 10 days of walking, they begin to talk. And I'm sure the question of what happened? How did we get here comes up. They arrive back at Bethlehem and quickly the women that Naomi used to know, they recognize her and they begin to celebrate. You're back, how awesome is this? God is so good. And in that moment, Naomi shows some bitterness. Here she is, an older woman with a lot of things happening in her life, not seeing any hope. And she says, don't call me Naomi anymore. My name is now Mara. Mara means bitterness in Hebrew. And she tells those ladies, the people listening, I left here full. 
I left with a husband and two sons, and I return empty. My husband is dead, my sons are dead, and I am stuck with a foreigner for a daughter-in-law who will not leave me alone. I am bitter, and this is God's fault. Ooh, that's strong words right there. It's very strong words. I've had moments in my life like that where things happen and I have to go, God, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? I don't like this. I'm sure many of us have had moments like that in our life where we struggle with what's happening around us and in our life and we may even have said, God, this is your fault. Stop it. So here we are, we have Naomi back at home with a foreigner for a daughter-in-law. Naomi's bitter and probably going, I don't know what to do. And Ruth being the woman she is, she realizes, you know what, we need to eat. Now, lucky for them, they return during the harvest season. And so Ruth goes to her mother-in-law and says, we need to take care of ourselves. Give me permission to go work out in the fields, to walk behind the harvesters and collect what they drop. You see, the Old Testament law, it provides for widowers and foreigners who are poor and unable to earn any income to provide for themselves. They can go into the fields, and the Israelites were to allow them to follow behind and pick up anything that was dropped, and also to collect harvest off the edges of the field. And Naomi says, you know what? Your plan's good. You're young. You go do that. And so Ruth heads out, and she finds a field, and she begins to work it. And unbeknownst to Ruth, it belongs to a family member, a guy by the name of Boaz. Okay, you've got all three major characters now, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. Those are the three people you really need to know. Now, like I said, Ruth didn't know that this field belonged to Boaz, and so she's out there working, and Boaz comes up, and he greets the head of his servants, and he says, how's everyone doing? And they're like, bless you, kind sir, because what we come to find out as we read about Boaz is he's a man of character. He has uh, scruples. He has integrity. He is a man that has compassion on people, and he's looking out amongst his field, and he catches uh, a glimpse of Ruth, and he asks the head of his servants, who's that lady over there? And his servant says, oh, that's Ruth. And he tells Ruth's story. And Boaz remembers, hey, Naomi is one of my family members. I remember hearing they're back. And here's her daughter-in-law, who now is one of my people, working my field. And he is moved with compassion. And they take a break for, for a meal. And Boaz calls Ruth over. And he enters into a conversation with her. And the heart of the conversation is, I'm going to take care of you. I want you to be safe, so work in my fields the whole time. I want you to work along with my female servants. I want you to pay attention to what they do. I don't want you to worry for your safety. And she's moved because here's this foreign man who's older than her looking at her and going, I have compassion for you. As they talk, they have a meal, and he gives her such a large portion that there's enough for her to be able to take home, so Naomi has food to eat. And as the meal ends, Boaz turns to the head of his servants and says, I want y'all to drop more grain on the ground for her. Don't embarrass her. Let her pick up more and take, let her take care of her and her mother-in-law. Boaz is a man who is moved with compassion when he sees someone who needs help. 
And Ruth is amazed. And she goes home and she's got all this grain and this meal for Naomi. And she presents it to Naomi. And Naomi's like, whoa, what happened here? And Ruth begins to tell the whole story. And Naomi hears the name Boaz and realizes, oh, we have hope. This man is one of our family members. And she tells Ruth, he is a kinsman redeemer. He is a family redeemer. Now, we don't quite understand what that means, so I want to unpack that real quick for us. Uh, One of my commentaries had a great definition of it. We're going to put it up on the screen for you. Uh, It comes out of the New American Commentary written by Daniel Block. A kinsman redeemer is a male relative who delivers or rescues. He redeems property or person, avenges the murder of a relative as a guiltless executioner, and receives restitution for wrongdoing to a relative who has since died. The unique emphasis of redemption, salvation, vindication associated with the kinsman redeemer is the fact that this action is carried out by a kinsman on behalf of a near relative in need. Catch that. This action is carried out by a kinsman on behalf of a near relative in need. A kinsman redeemer is a family member who sees that a family member is stuck in a situation that they cannot get out of. Ruth and Naomi, they're stuck. They're widowers. They have no rights. Ruth is a foreigner. They're stuck. And they need someone to come redeem them. And Naomi knows that Boaz can be that person. So she goes to Ruth and she says, here's what I want you to do. And she gives her uh, uh, some instructions of what she's to go do. And Ruth says, great, I'm going to go do it. And she gets dressed up and she puts on perfume and she heads to the threshing floor where she hides from Boaz because women aren't supposed to be on the threshing floor. And she pays attention to where Boaz goes to lay down at night. And when he falls asleep, she does what is pretty scandalous back then. She goes and uncovers his feet and lays down at his feet, waiting for him to wake up. Sometime in the middle of the night, Boaz wakes up. He's startled because there's something by his feet, and then he's even more startled because he realizes there's a woman laying at his feet, and he doesn't know what's going on. Who are you? I am Ruth. What do you want? I want you to redeem me. I can do nothing. I need you to rescue me. And Boaz, again, is moved with compassion Here's what we're going to do. Boaz realizes that he can do something to help Ruth and Naomi. But he realizes that there's someone who's ahead of him in terms of the lineage. Someone who should have first rights to redeem them. And Boaz tells Ruth everything that's going to happen and sends her home with a large amount of barley again for Naomi and Ruth to live on. The next morning Boaz wakes up and he heads to the city gates. This is where all of the legal matters happen. And it's a very crowded town. And Boaz says, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to look for this man, this first relative who can redeem them. And I'm going to wait. And as soon as he sits down, the man walks by. And he grabs him and he grabs some city elders and he sits them down and he says, listen, Naomi is back. Elimelech's land needs to be redeemed. You, sir, you have the right of first refusal. And this guy sees, hey, free land? Of course I want to redeem free land. I'll take it. And Boaz wisely withheld this information and said, now understand, as soon as you redeem the land, you're redeeming Ruth. And you will be responsible for her care and providing a family line for Elimelech. 
And what the first family member hears is, there's a lot of work, there's not a lot in it for me. Because if they were to have children, if Ruth and this other man were to have children, that child would inherit the land when they turned uh, legal age. And so this unnamed family member goes, yeah, not for me, you take care of her. And Boaz says, done. And he goes and he finds Ruth and Naomi and he redeems them. And he brings Ruth into his house and they become husband and wife. And then lo and behold, Ruth gets pregnant. Did we catch that they, she had been married for about 10 years? She hadn't gotten pregnant before that? There was some issue with her having children. But now that she's with Boaz, that issue is removed. She has a son. And they're celebrating that in chapter four, where the women cry out to Naomi, how blessed are you? God has provided. So I read the story of Ruth, and I encourage you to do this. To, it's only four chapters. It's short, and it's well-written. When we read the Bible, a lot of times we're tempted to read ourselves into scripture, aren't we? To identify with the people. I found that as I read Ruth, I quickly identified with Naomi and just some, some bitterness at what God has done in life. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're like Ruth and you feel like you're a foreigner, an outsider. Or maybe you even see, hey, there's something that has to be done. I'm going to step up and take care of it. Or maybe you identify with Boaz. Hey, I have some resources at my, my disposal and I'm pretty aware of the needs around me and I have compassion on people on a regular basis. I think it's pretty simple for us to read scripture and read ourselves into it, but I have to stop and I had to correct myself as I was preparing this because you know what? This book, the book of Ruth, the entire Bible, it's not about me and you. When we read ourselves into scripture, we do a disservice to God and scripture because this book is about God. Every page of it is about God and what he is doing. The Old Testament, it points us towards Jesus. The New Testament reveals Jesus and the epistles, the gospels reveal Jesus and the epistles, they talk about what Jesus is doing through the church and look forward to the coming of Christ. When you and I take, stop ourselves and start going, well, where am I in this story? Who am I? Well, how do I work? This is not how God wants us to read his word. He wants us to go, what is God doing? How is he working? And when I read the book of Ruth, it becomes very, very obvious this book is about the providence of God. Now, that's a theological term. I want to back it up and define it in case someone in here doesn't know what that means. So we're going to put it up on the screen again, and then I'll simplify it a little bit. Providence is God's involvement with all created things in such a way that he cooperates with created things in every action, directing their distinctive properties to cause them to act as they do, and he directs them to fulfill his purposes. That comes out of Wayne Grudem's systematic theology on providence. Did you catch that? He uh, causes them to act as they do and he directs them to fulfill his purposes. In a nutshell, providence means God's in control of everything and nothing happens without God at least approving it. So when we read the book of Ruth, that drought, 
That's God's providence. Them moving to Moab, God's providence. Elimelech dying, God's providence. Moving back to Bethlehem, God's providence. Ruth finding a field that happens to belong to an unknown family member, God's providence. Boaz having the character and the compassion to redeem them, God's providence. Ruth being able to have a child, God's providence. And if you don't know this, that child is part of the lineage of Jesus. Boaz and Ruth had a son named Obed. Obed was the father of Jesse. Jesse was the father of David. Jesus is the in the line of King David. So God, through this work, through his providence, is assuring that the lineage of Jesus is made. That's Matthew chapter one, if you want to check me out on that. God is at work in all things. And when we ask that question, how did I get here? What is going on? God's providence. Now, I realize this opens up a whole slew of questions and emotions, and we don't have time to unpack that. But we'll be around after service. We're around during the week. If you need to stop and talk about what does this mean for your life, that God is directing all things and causing things to work to fulfill his will. And maybe some things have happened in your life that you don't necessarily like, that have been painful. Maybe you look and see all the ugliness of the world and you're going, wait a minute, how does this line up with God's providence? That's not short conversations, but we want to have them with you if you so want to have them. So as we read the book of Ruth and we look at what does this mean for our life, it means God's in control and he's directing the things that are happening in your life so that his will may be fulfilled. I love that. It's hard, but I love that because it gives me hope. God planned every act that happened in the book of Ruth in order to establish the lineage of Jesus. What is God doing? God is bringing hope to humanity. And today we're gonna celebrate that hope. We're gonna come together here in a few minutes and we're going to take of the Lord's Supper where we reflect upon God's plan, the things he has done, his providence, so that you and I have an opportunity to be restored to a right relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Here in a minute when we take the elements, we're celebrating God's providence. We're remembering what Jesus did on the cross and through his overcoming death, and we look forward with anticipation to the second coming of Christ. Why is this happening to me? How did I get here? God's providence. So I'm gonna invite the deacons to come forward here and we're gonna distribute the elements. In just a second, these gentlemen are going to pass out the bread and the wine. As we do this, let me just say, the Lord's Supper is for anyone who has ever professed Jesus as their Lord and Savior. If you're in a faith relationship, this is for you. If you've never made that commitment, that relationship hasn't been started, we're simply gonna ask that you reflect on where you're at with God. But this time, this act of, of taking the elements, it's about us remembering what God has done through Christ for us. That's a celebration. 
And it's also us anticipating the second coming of Christ and being reminded of the work that we have to do now. So while the elements are distributed, I encourage you, take time to reflect.